When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. New Year. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. We're saying a welcome goodbye to the old year, 2020, and looking ahead to the challenges we face in the new year. Among them, what to do about the unprecedented Russian hacking of some of our leading government agencies and corporations. A question Ted Koppel will be taking on in our cover story. I think we're only beginning to learn the extent of the damage. U.S. intelligence appears convinced that the Russians are responsible for one of the most damaging cyber intrusions ever against the U.S. government and thousands of American companies. We are now in a moment in history where there is a constant, escalating, short-of-war cyber conflict underway every single day. So why don't we retaliate big time? Well, you know what they say about people in glass houses. Ahead on the Sunday morning. Chris Rock is a comic star who came very close to never shining at all. Just one of the life stories he'll be sharing in conversation with our Gail King. Chris Rock is a king of comedy who almost called it quits. Right before I got on Saturday Night Live, if you'd offered me a job that paid $10, $12 an hour, I would have never told another joke in my life. Really? Yeah. Truth, therapy, and a life of punchlines. What is the hardest truth for you? Sometimes I wasn't kind, and sometimes I wasn't listening, and sometimes I was selfish. And ultimately, you know, who do you want to be? Chris Rock, later on Sunday morning. No list of legends of popular music would be complete without the Bee Gees, the Brothers Gibb, of whom Barry Gibb is the lone survivor. He'll be looking back and ahead with Anthony Mason. The Bee Gees. Many people are watching the new HBO documentary on the Bee Gees. Barry Gibb is not one of them. I've watched bits of it. You haven't seen it all the way through? No. No. Why not? Barry Gibb, the last surviving BG, on Starting Over, coming up on Sunday morning. We'll be looking ahead to this new year, both at home and abroad, with Major Garrett and Mark Phillips. Dr. John LaPook talks about ways you can keep mentally sharp with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Lee Cowan has an appreciation of the remarkable life and career of Viacom CBS giant Sumner Redstone, and more. 
on this Sunday morning, the 3rd of January, 2021. And we'll be back in a moment. High on America's to-do list for 2021 is how to respond to the recent cyber attack that compromised thousands from government agencies to corporate giants. The attack is widely blamed by cyber experts on Russia. So what to do now? Our cover story is reported by senior contributor Ted Koppel. We're in incident response phase and the forensics are ongoing. Like the coronavirus, it came from overseas, arriving initially unnoticed. I think we're only beginning to learn the extent of the damage. When it was finally belatedly discovered, the outrage for a few days at least was epic. This is nothing short of a virtual invasion by the Russians into critical accounts of our federal government. And it is an extraordinary invasion of our uh, cyberspace. The Russians, it's believed, hacked into the software of a company called Solar Winds, causing them to push out malicious updates, call it a cyber virus, infecting the computer systems of more than 18,000 private and government customers, almost a cyber pandemic. This vulnerability allowed the nefarious cyber operatives to actually create what we refer to in the industry as God access or God door, giving them basically any rights to do anything they want to in stealth mode. Like its medical counterpart, a cyber virus spreads through bad hygiene. As painful as this is for me to say, this is a huge intelligence failure. Uh, Breathtaking is a word that uh, certainly comes to mind uh, for me, uh, and that's why I referred to this earlier today as our modern-day cyber Pearl Harbor. Uh, So which is it? Pearl Harbor, which drew the United States into World War II, or just a massive espionage operation similar to those conducted by the United States around the world? With nothing much to see, media coverage faded. But the experts remain seriously concerned. So this is not just about an espionage attack. This is about something called preparation of the battlefield, where they're now able, in a time of crisis, to eat the software in thousands of U.S. companies. Any particular hacker attack. More than 20 years ago, Richard Clark was the nation's first cyber czar, working initially in the Clinton White House and then under George W. Bush. These days, Clark is chairman of Good Harbor, a cybersecurity consulting company. When you hear people talk about this as being purely an intelligence operation, you accept that? No, I don't. Uh, What the Russians have done is they've suddenly gotten into thousands of American sites and placed additional backdoors in once they got in. So even if we discover a backdoor that they have placed in a a critical network, they've probably placed five or six uh, and we'll never find them all. Uh, That means they're in a position in a crisis to walk right into lots of important American networks, both government and private sector and then to wipe out the software on them, to shut the network down. We are now in a moment in history where there is a constant, escalating, short of war cyber conflict underway 
every single day. David Sanger is national security correspondent for the New York Times. Cyber is the most inexpensive, highly destructive, highly deniable weapon. Cyber warfare is, to borrow the title of his book and the HBO documentary based on that book, the perfect weapon. Is there a, a really visible line between cyber intelligence and cyber warfare? Yes, I think there is. If I went into your computer system, Ted, just to read your email, that's pure espionage. But what people discovered over time, Ted, was that the same computer code that enabled you to break into somebody's system would also enable you to manipulate that system. So once you were inside, if you had the right access, you could do all kinds of things. If the network was connected to an electric power grid, to a gas pipeline, to a water distribution system, to a nuclear centrifuge plant, you might be able to manipulate the data and cause havoc in those systems. And that's much more than mere espionage. These days, Keith Alexander is CEO of the IronNet Cybersecurity Company. But when he retired as a four-star Army general, Alexander ran the NSA, the National Security Agency, where he used to direct intelligence operations against America's adversaries. I wondered what he thought the Russians are doing. Isn't it reasonable in a situation like this to assume the worst? That they were planting, in effect, cyber landmines which can be activated at some future point? I think the real objective is to gain information. What Treasury's thinking, what Commerce is thinking, what Homeland Security is thinking, what State Department does. They want insights to what's going on in our country. You still haven't responded directly to my suggestion that it could also include cyber landmines which could be activated later on. So that's a good point. Having said that, there has been no insights yet as to them actually setting landmines as much as gathering information. So I would say this, think of this as a recon phase. They would set up those back doors so that they have a way of getting in and out. And then if they have that, you don't necessarily have to set up the landmine at that time. You would probably keep your information on those networks down low so that it's not detectable and just have the backdoor capability to get in and then do something when the need arises. What has occurred is, again, preparation of the battlefield. There's not been a lot of damage because of solar winds. Maybe some information was stolen, but nothing has been damaged yet. 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 But if, if I didn't misunderstand what you said before, the Russians are really no more than a few keystrokes away from implementing exactly that kind of damage on, as you put it, thousands of American firms. That's right. And we do not have uh, plans or capability today to quickly come back after that kind of devastating attack. The kind of things that we need to do now, we could have done 20 years ago. 20 years ago, however, there wasn't a real understanding uh, in the Congress 
or in the White House, there wasn't a willingness to spend the kind of resources. People were worried about privacy concerns and big brother controls. They didn't trust the government to defend them against this sort of thing. And here we are with trust in government at probably a lower ebb than it's ever been. And you think that's gonna change? Neither government nor the private sector can defend our networks alone. They have to work together. And we need to unite the country. Put the politics aside and say, what's the right thing for this nation? When you listen to some of the chest beating that is going on in certain circles about taking retaliatory action against the Russians, um, just give me your thoughts on that. We don't want to create a deeper cyber war in cyberspace but we need to send a message. Now that can be done outside of cyber, diplomatically, politically, economically. It can be done in cyber. It can be done overtly or covertly. Because imagine if we did attack and then they attack back. Who has more to lose? We do. Who is able to sustain the pain of a cyber attack more effectively? We or our enemies? Probably our enemies. One of the other strange things about cyber is that the advantage goes to the least networked society attacking the most networked society. And we are clearly, Ted, the most networked society. So here we are in this extraordinary position, David Sanger, of being arguably the most technologically advanced country in the world, probably the best at cyber technology in the world, and simultaneously, if not the most vulnerable, among the most vulnerable in the world. That's absolutely right. Um, as uh, one of the um, leading thinkers inside Cyber Command uh, says, Michael Solmeyer, we live in the glassiest of the glass houses, right? So while we may have the biggest weapons, we're nothing but picture windows. And it's really easy to throw a rock through one. How's this for a New Year's resolution? Focus on keeping your brain alert and sharp. Our Dr. John LaPook has been getting some tips on that from CNN's Dr. Sanjay Gupta. John, I've, I've had a uh, long-standing love affair with the brain. When he's not on CNN giving updates on the coronavirus... You have to try and do the best you can to mitigate all potential exposures. Dr. Sanjay Gupta is at his day job. You're a brain surgeon. What's it like to hold it in your hands? First time I ever operated on the brain, you know, close to 30 years ago now, it was a mystical experience. You can't believe that those three and a half pounds are everything to us, all of our pain, all of our joy, all of our memories, all of our learning, everything. And in his spare time, Dr. Gupta has written a book about the brain, specifically how to keep it in shape. The book is published by Simon & Schuster, a part of Viacom CBS. For Dr. Gupta, it's personal. In many ways, this journey began when my grandfather developed Alzheimer's, and I saw that as a teenage kid, and you know, it really stuck with me. This has been a lifelong journey to try and understand how I could prevent that from happening to me and from anybody else. More than 5 million Americans have Alzheimer's, the most common cause of dementia. 
One of the biggest fears that my patients have is of developing dementia. They'll come in and say, you know what, I couldn't think of somebody's name, I know them so well, or I was in the middle of a sentence, I lost my train of thought. So how can people know the difference between changes that come with normal aging and the onset of dementia? This is a topic of conversation number one in our home. It used to be because my parents were always asking me this question, and now my wife and I are always asking each other this question, you know, am I starting to become more forgetful? When it comes to discovering if something is just normal, sort of memory loss versus abnormal, people lose keys all the time. It becomes more abnormal when you don't remember exactly what those keys are for. It turns out the changes in the brain that lead to Alzheimer's disease begin decades before symptoms arise. There is some suggestion, right, that even if you're destined to develop Alzheimer's in the future, that if your blood vessels in your brain are wide open, if you're doing everything you can to keep heart healthy, that it might actually push it off, it might actually delay it. I think there's no question now that we can say, and I don't think we could have said this five, 10 years ago, that there are things we can do that involve lifestyle changes that could absolutely delay the progression of dementia and even reverse it. Dr. Gupta says the key is doing activities that create cognitive reserve in the brain, areas of new nerve growth and wiring that can pick up the slack if needed. So let's get to it. With no miracle drug on the horizon, what's the prescription for fighting off dementia? Let's start with exercise. Put it this way, what's good for the heart is good for the brain. When you move, it's almost like you're signaling to the body and to the brain, I wanna be here. I'm not ready to go. With the brain specifically, it releases these things called neurotrophins, these good chemicals. So these are sort of nourishing the brain. In the United States, a lot of us are going 100 miles an hour, but so many of us do that while sitting down, not moving. You know, people keep saying this, sitting is the new smoking. Every time you're about to sit, say, do I need to be sitting? And then just try and moderately move throughout the day. It's so effective in terms of what it does for the brain and what we can measure it doing to the brain. And there are some simple habits people can do. For example, take the stairs rather than the elevator. It takes months, years to change the heart. The brain can change like that. How about diet? You've heard about that too. Eat less red meat, less processed food, more vegetables and fruit. Dr. Gupta says, especially one kind of fruit. They always say, John, apple a day keeps the doctor away. I think when it comes to the brain, it's berries. Berries, in terms of what they can do for the brain, in terms of the certain chemicals they release, are probably gonna be one of your best foods. Any berries? Just about any berry. Blueberries get a lot of the attention because they may release more with fewer calories. They taste good, but if you like a certain berry, dive into berries. How about working directly on your thinking skills? Crossword puzzles, video games, what works? I have nothing against crossword puzzles and even video games and brain training games and things like that. I think they can be great. So you do crossword puzzles, you play the piano, you do it over and over again and practice makes perfect. That's absolutely true. But it's change that builds resiliency. You need the change. So I wouldn't just do crossword puzzles. The way that I think about it is if you can get outside your comfort zone in some way every day, you're probably harnessing other real estate in the brain that you don't otherwise use very often. Do something that scares you every day. You know, whatever the metaphor is, whatever works, just do something different, learn a new skill. I remember talking to these neuroscientists who said, eat dinner with your left hand tonight if you're right-handed. Getting a good night's sleep is another way to help stay sharp. There are so-called garbage collecting cells that help remove toxins from the brain. And while you're asleep, Memories from the day are processed. 
Our knowledge about the importance of sleep has really changed over the years. It's not just a matter of letting our batteries recharge, right? Sleep is, is such a, uh, a sophisticated activity that we spend a third of our life doing. The brain is a remarkably complicated organ. When you go to sleep at night, it's taking the experiences you had throughout the day and consolidating them into memories. Why do we even have experiences if you're not gonna do the things necessary to remember them, right? We're learning that the brain is constantly sort of going through this rinse cycle at night. For one of the best ways to fight off dementia, look no further than your friends and family. We know that that social interaction is so critically important. We are social creatures. We know that there are certain neurochemicals that are released when we actually have touch and look someone directly in the eye. The best thing you could do overall in terms of putting it all together for brain health would be to take a, a brisk walk with a close friend and talk about your problems. Why? Get the brisk walk. You're getting the movement in. You're doing it with the friend. You're getting the social connection in. It turns into this beautiful thing for the relationship, but also for the brain. Of course, the coronavirus means seeing friends up close and personal is a little tough right now. But with Americans starting to get vaccinated against COVID, the time when we can move past the pandemic may be approaching. What people want to know is when do we get back, if not too normal, towards normal? What do you think? I think we will start to get back to normal a lot sooner than people realize, and I think that could be maybe mid-end of spring. It's, it's going to start to feel a lot more normal. Things will start to open up. People will be out and about more. I have three teenage girls. I think they're going to be back in school next fall. I could be wrong, but that's where it seems like things are headed. So as we look forward to getting back to normal, here's a New Year's resolution for you. Think about doing something for your brain. Empathy and kindness, compassion, they do a lot for everybody's brain, don't they? They are the ultimate sort of nourishment for the brain. Every sight you see, every sound you hear, everything you touch, feel, whatever it may be, taste, and then the feelings, the experiences that you have through empathy, through these connections with people, is all nourishing the brain as well. It's, it's really good for the brain. It's why we live. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics.
Go to zbionics.com slash CBS to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbionics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to head to zbionics.com slash CBS and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbionics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Out with the old, in with the new. Chief Washington correspondent Major Garrett looks ahead to what's in store for America in 2021. As the new year dawns and the nation awaits a new president, 2020 leaves behind unfinished political and pandemic business. Twin runoff elections on Tuesday for Georgia's Senate seats will determine which party controls the chamber and likely the fate of President-elect Joe Biden's agenda. I need two senators from this state. I want to get something done. A Democratic sweep would give America's first female vice president, Kamala Harris, the deciding say on party line votes. The Electoral College has spoken. Republican leader Mitch McConnell waited until the Electoral College voted to even recognize Biden as president-elect, a sign, along with silence about Mr. Trump's baseless claims of election fraud, that Republicanism and Trumpism are blurring. Thomas Friedman is a New York Times columnist and author. We've been destroying the two pillars of democracy, which are truth and trust. Okay, without truth, we can't agree what road to go down. And without trust, we can't go down that road together. And so when you don't have truth and trust, it's very hard to sustain a healthy democracy. The Senate runoffs and the way Republicans handle the remainder of the Trump presidency will say a lot about the party's future. At least 12 Senate Republicans will join 100 or more House Republicans and object to the Electoral College count on Wednesday. That will briefly delay certification of the Electoral College vote. It will not derail Biden's inauguration. It has already sown GOP divisions. There are too many principled Republicans who sort of just can say, I'm not getting in that clown car. Um, and yet that clown car is full of other Republicans who are happy to go along to earn Donald Trump's blessing. Don't know when, don't know how, but if he keeps at it, this party is gonna blow. Then there's the pandemic, sure to be raging into 2021, spurred on by holiday gatherings, says Dr. Anthony Fauci. We know that that almost certainly is gonna result in a surge superimposed upon a surge. The Biden administration has set an ambitious goal, 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days. The inauguration will be subdued. Scientific, economic, and cultural challenges abound. Now it's time to turn the page, as we've done throughout our history, to unite, <clears throat> to heal. Inseparable from the pandemic, new work to reverse long-standing racial disparities and barriers. We have to actually be intentional now. Intentional how we deal with one another, intentional how we attack these problems, how we produce better policing. We need to be much more intentional. Biden has vowed to reverse Trump-era executive actions and may seek an early victory on infrastructure. We need to seize the opportunity to build back and build back better than we were before. Some trends of 2020 are likely to endure in 2021. Big companies, bigger. Small businesses limping or disappearing. 
hunger and homelessness spreading. Working from home, learning remotely, apart but more connected than ever, still with us into 2021. More people in more places can now compete, connect, and collaborate in more ways for less money from more places than ever before. It happened this past week, the death of a fashion great. Pierre Cardin died Tuesday just outside Paris. A renegade at odds with the French fashion establishment for decades, Cardin's designs embraced bold colors and shapes, often evocative of the space age. Because uh, fashion must be tomorrow for me. What is a fashion tomorrow, not yesterday? A shrewd businessman as well as designer, Cardin put his brand on hundreds of everyday products. Pierre Cardin was 98. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. We also lost a figure beloved by generations of TV fans. What's me, Marianne? Actress Dawn Wells died Wednesday of a cause related to COVID-19. When the skipper came in and he thought he was Matt Dillon and he had a fight with Cary Grant. She is best remembered for her role as the wholesome Marianne on the 1960s CBS shipwreck comedy, Gilligan's Island. Now you just relax, dear, and you tell us in your own sweet, charming, simple way what it is that you want most out of life. I would like a world without strife, universal harmony, international goodwill, where the spirit of brotherhood enriches all of mankind forever. Thank you. Wells went on to a long career on stage and screen, earning her a star on the Marshfield, Missouri Walk of Fame, where our Moraka caught up with her in 2016. Your two stars away from Charles Lindbergh, and you're diagonally away from Amelia Earhart. That's pretty great. So. You like flying, I hope. I hope. Better than sailing. OK. <laughs> Don Wells was 82. And we learned of the death of Phyllis McGuire, the last of the singing McGuire sisters. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Ohio born with Girl Next Door Charm. The trio skyrocketed to fame in a 1952 appearance on Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts. See the pyramids A performance that clearly wowed the studio audience. The sisters went on to a series of hits, including Sincerely. Sincerely, oh, you know how I love you. And Sugar Time. Sugar in the morning, sugar in the evening, sugar at supper time. They retired in 1968, only to reunite in 1985 for a years-long comeback including a 1990 performance here on CBS, live from Phyllis's opulent Las Vegas mansion. Outliving sisters Christine and Dorothy, Phyllis McGuire died Tuesday, reportedly in her 25,000 square foot home. She was 89.
We've looked at what the new year holds here at home. Time for the global perspective from Mark Phillips in London. One thing at least used to be predictable in this world, crowds gathering around the globe to celebrate as the new year rolled in. In this pandemic year, in most places, the party was over before it began. And there was no immediate improvement in all the issues the world is facing just because the date has changed. Is 2020 a year that you're going to be sad to see the end of? Definitely not. Madeleine Albright may have been Secretary of State 20 years ago when the world was a different place. And you would expect her to take a dim view of the U.S. posture in it over the past four years. But what about the next? I definitely see it as a period of re-engagement. And I think that that's one of the major parts because we have been AWOL for a while and I have always believed that America's strength depends on how we operate with our partners and deal with the issues that are out there. And everybody knows what the biggest issue out there is. Simply rejoining the World Health Organization, as President-elect Joe Biden has promised, will not end the pandemic. But it will, according to Albright, be a sign. Because there is no way, no matter how powerful the United States is, is to be able to deal with those issues alone. So definitely, I think we need to re-engage with the World Health Organization. But as it returns to an active role at the international table, at the WHO, at the G7, at NATO, the U.S. will find a less dependent, less trusting place. So yes, the world has changed. We're in a far more fragmented world. Karen Von Hippel is the first American to run the prestigious Royal United Services Institute, the world's oldest security think tank in London. China is a much more of a, a rising threat and competitor than it was four years ago. All these other countries, such as Russia and Iran, that were pretty much able to flex their muscles in many parts of the world with very little blowback. So it's a very different world. But has it also taught, just speaking in terms of the Western allies, let's say, to be less dependent on American leadership internationally? Yes, it's a good thing for those countries to build up their own resiliency and their own capability. It's a bad thing if America wants to try to lead again and they don't have anyone following. Lead on rejoining the rearguard action being fought against climate change. Lead on confronting the disruptive influence of Vladimir Putin's Russia. Putin has played a weak hand very well. And the kinds of things that he's been doing to undermine our democracy, to separate us from our friends and allies in Europe, to reassert Russian influence in the Middle East is uh, something that is very troublesome. The pandemic, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, the Middle East. Those are just the challenges we know about. Is there the bandwidth? to deal with all of these international issues of such importance. Do we have the bandwidth? We have to have the bandwidth. There's always the thing that comes in over the transom that's the big surprise. And it's very hard, um, as somebody used to say, to predict the future, Yogi Berra, mm -hmm. I think. 
Um, and so I do think, by the way, it's always a mistake when I use some kind of a sports analogy. What Yogi Berra said was, the future ain't what it used to be. And once again, he was right. While the new year is fresh, we want to take time to remember one of the giants of this medium, Sumner Redstone, an integral part of our Viacom CBS family for some 40 years. He died in August at the age of 97. Lee Cowan has an appreciation. The seeds for what became a global media empire that includes CBS were planted in a parking lot. This one, one of the first drive-in theaters in America. You know, I do remember myself working behind a little stand at the Sunrise Auto Theater in New York selling cola and popcorn. For Sumner Redstone, there was always a bit of nostalgia about his dad's movie theater business, not because it was a piece of Americana, but the drive-ins taught him a lesson that he would carry the rest of his life. You could have the best drive-in theater, but if you didn't have the best picture, you lost. When the audience's drive to go to drive-ins started to wane, Redstone built multiplexes in their place. Same amount of space, but more opportunities to reach an audience. I often used to tell my kids, success is not built on success. It's built on failure. It's built on frustration. It's built on catastrophe and what you do about it. She's here on the home of classic TV. Yes. What he did when cable TV started to grow was to jump in with both feet. His company, National Amusements, took over Viacom in 1987, which owned MTV, Nickelodeon, and Showtime. So many of you heard me speak of Viacom, the sleeping giant. The giant woke up. Indeed, it did. He went on a spending spree for much of the 90s, outworking and outmaneuvering his rivals to acquire Blockbuster, Paramount Pictures, and eventually, us here at CBS. This partnership seems almost dictated by destiny. At a time when most entrepreneurs might be eyeing retirement, Sumner Redstone was ever focused on the ever-changing media landscape, still looking for any new feature that could give him an edge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. He fervently believed that content was king. The to glory. And the newest vehicle for that content, he thought, was streaming. He reflected on his view from the top with our Charles Osgood back in 2001. Is there some point at which you are big enough and don't need to grow? I used to say that it was over, but I've lived with myself too long to say that it's ever over. He was a force to be reckoned with. Those with whom he negotiated say he rarely surrendered, either in business or in life. Redstone famously survived a deadly blaze at the Copley Plaza Hotel in Boston in 1979 by clinging to a ledge three stories up. He was burned over almost half his body. In his later years, he donated much of his fortune to help treat burn victims, and he served on the boards of several charitable organizations for cancer research, autism, education, and the arts. All the while, remaining chairman of what is now Viacom CBS until he was 92. I'm never leaving. I like it here. I'm not going somewhere else, so forget the rocking chair. The Redstone name is still woven into the fabric that is Viacom CBS. 
His daughter Sherry Redstone now holds the reins and the same title as her father, as one of the most powerful people in media. The one-time popcorn salesman from Boston once said that nothing is impossible for those who have a commitment to excellence and an obsessive will to win. Words that we at Sunday Morning have, in our own way, certainly tried to live by. I'm Jane Pauley. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauley ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.